Welcome to B2B Marketers on a Mission, a podcast for B2B marketers that helps you to question the conventional, think differently, disrupt your industry, and take your marketing to new heights. Each week, we talk to B2B marketing experts who share inspirational stories, discuss their thoughts on trending topics, and provide useful marketing tips and recommendations. And now, here's your host and co-founder of I'm Like Consulting, Christian Klepp. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Marketers in the Mission podcast, where you get your weekly dose of B2B marketing insights. This is your host, Christian Klepp, and today I am thrilled to welcome a guest into the show who is not just a successful entrepreneur, but he also believes that companies don't need more content. They, in fact, need better content that actually performs. Well, ain't that the truth, right? So coming to us from the sunny Hawaiian islands, or at least I hope it is sunny today, Mr. Brad Smith. Aloha and welcome to the show. Thank you, Christian. It's so nice to be here. Uh, it's partly sunny. A little a little rain this morning, but it's to be expected. Okay. Okay. A little rain's always good. Yeah. It's uh <laughs> yeah, at first I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna like the rain all the time, but it's so hot year round, which sounds terrible to say to most people yeah. that have winters. Uh, that it's like oh, it's kinda, <laughs> you, you, you mean like you mean like us in Canada? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of nice some some days to like be cloudy and a little cooler, you know. You're like, oh I put jeans yeah. on today. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Brad, I, you know, I'm so happy to be connected with you, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So, uh, you know, let's uh, let's uh, dive in. Yeah, let's focus on a topic. You know, you're you're clearly um, you know very passionate about, and uh, you know, you've built your expertise around it as well. So, it's content for B2B, right? So, talk to us about why you believe now more than ever, um, B2B companies need to be paying attention to the type of content that they're putting out there. Yeah, I think I think there's a host of reasons. Um, I think that the big challenge, if we take, if we really want to take a step back and actually look at like what's happened in this space over the last decade or so, um, SEO has become a lot more challenging and sophisticated and difficult. Uh, content has become a lot more difficult and sophisticated. Uh, the amount of people and companies and alternatives producing content has become a lot better. So it's, it's, it's not good enough anymore, unfortunately, for all of us to just do kind of like the bare minimum and to just put out a lot of bunch of average stuff. And what often happens is that when you do that, you, you not only not help yourself, uh, and, and you don't give yourself an actual chance for it to break through and to actually get the visibility you need and everything else. Um, you also don't get the soft or intangible benefits from a B2B perspective, meaning sales enablement. You don't get that, um, that recognition from people, from leads. You don't get that trust. You don't get that reputation. All the things that actually helps you close big, complex sales over weeks and months. Um, generic kind of watered down content, if anything, almost turns people off because they can quickly see through it. Savvy buyers like B2B customers are, you know, you can maybe get away with it a little more on the consumer side, but with savvy B2B buyers, uh, especially in technical spaces, anything like that, if, if your content, if stuff comes through as watered down generic, um, or even like flat out wrong in certain areas, they're going to be the first ones to know and, and kind of turn off. Yeah. And all this, uh, th- th- those are really gro- uh, great points. And, you know, um, Definitely in B2B where people are always like, uh, you know, on the lookout for um, companies and providers, especially those that they uh, see as authorities or experts in a certain um, area of expertise. I mean, it always helps to have uh, content that is not just not just not generic, but also content that is either insightful, uh, thought provoking or helps put a different spin on things. Right. Like that people walk away from that and say, hey. That was a really good point. You know, like um, I, I didn't think about it that way before. Totally. Yeah. I mean, most yeah. B2B 
there's a lot of service component in most B2B, even if we're talking about B2B products or software or whatever, there's still a huge service component to most of those. And I think there's a book called Selling the Invisible, and that's kind of what you're doing. You're selling the intangible stuff. And, and unless you can do that, and unless you can bridge that gap and actually, you know, almost bring like a, a name and a face and a, a feeling, an emotional feeling, like B2B buyers are different, but they're not that different, meaning there still is that emotional underpinning and people use their emotions to justify the logic. Uh, so, so even if, even if someone's, you know, 5% more expensive, they're going to, they're going to convince themselves, well, these people are the subject matter experts and I like them better. Therefore, um, that's that extra 5% is value. You know what I mean? That they're going to turn it around in their own minds if, if they trust it and if they actually believe in it. And the way you do that is through again, content and, and those various touch points over days and weeks and, and months really. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that you brought up that point um, about like the emotional aspect of it. Um, you know, if could we jam on that a little bit further? You see people talking about it a lot online. There's a couple of pieces out there, online articles and what have you. But like, uh, just just from your uh, point of view, how is the emotional aspect in B two B different from um, B two C? And like, you know, what 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 should folks out there, uh, you know, be mindful of? For sure. I think the biggest difference maybe uh, when it comes to emotion in the buying process is the impulse. So you don't see that as much maybe, and you don't feel that as much from the B2B side where um, an impulse decision plays a lot less. However, uh, we still see that often like our best leads, for example, for our own company, uh, often close within 30 days. So they, they might have known who we are and we might have been, they, they might have seen our stuff and have been following our stuff for a long time before that. Um, however, we are selling, you know, large contracts for uh, something that's subjective at the end of the day, content, uh, and and we're often doing that fairly quickly. And I think one of the reasons for that is because number one, we try to make the process, you know, as everyone does in B two B, we try to make the process easy and concrete and simple and all that fun and fun stuff. Um, but the other reason for that is they're before they reach out, their mind is already kind of made up. And I think that's the big like difference and the big thing to, to hit on here is that. With content, and I think Google calls it, you know, the zero moment of truth. People are finding out about your company and researching your company before you ever hear from them. And so by the time these people reach out, they're already almost pre-sold. That's such an uh, important and relevant point um, that, you, that you just brought up about like how, um, you know, uh, the B2B buyers basically, they've almost, I would say, 60 to 70 percent already made up their mind, but they just need to continue doing some research to get some further validation to ensure that, you know, that this is in fact the right decision that they're making. Definitely. Yeah. It's right. funny too. Like mm. during the sale, during our sales process, again, just as a personal example, we always sure. see the same, we always see the same questions where they're asking us for things that are like already plain as day yeah. on our website. So it's yeah. almost like they're just trying to reassure themselves a little bit yeah. uh, that they're, that they're making the right decision and that they're not making a bad decision. That's often exactly. like, or they might be comparing you to one other alternative. So by that right. point, they already they already have like their shortlist, and so they're just trying to verify like the last you know ten percent. Um, a lot of the a lot of the hard work, a lot of the legwork's already been done. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. No, it kind of sounds to me like a little bit of an all of the above scenario there. Like they're trying to like just tick off all those boxes. <laughs> yep. Great. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and make sure like you know these people aren't crazy or <laughs> these people are going to be like good to work with. You know what I mean? Going forward. Yes. Yes. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, Brad, you've been in the space for a while. So, uh, you know, short of saying the obvious, you've probably seen it all, you know, like the good, the bad and the ugly. But um, <laughs> let's just talk to us about some of the um, the common uh, mistakes and uh, misconceptions that you've seen out there when it comes to content for B2B. But let's give this a more constructive spin. Um, for sure. And, and, and rather than like just highlighting all the mistakes, let's just talk about like what, what are some of these challenges 
and what can people uh, do about it? Yeah, definitely. That's a good question. I think one of the big ones that always jumps out to me is like short-termism. Um, so B2B sales take a long time, uh, but also content to perform and to drive ROI takes a long time. And part of that is because uh, part of it's down to like how it's being promoted, which we can get into, which is kind of like a whole nother topic. But the other part of that too, is if, if we are creating content, for instance, for like search engines, uh, it's going to take a while. And so often we see on B2B sites, they do a really good job with branded traffic, meaning everything on their website talks about them. It talks about their capabilities, their services, the events they're going to, the, where they're speaking. It, it, so everyone, if you look inside Google Analytics and you look inside where are people coming from and why are they coming here, uh, it's always like a branded search, meaning someone's always using their brand name plus something else, like this brand case studies, this brand product, this brand services. Um, that's great because it means they've done a great job developing that brand awareness over the long term. The bad news is you're not bringing in anyone cold. Like you have, no, and that's a much bigger slice of the pie than the people who do know you. And so to do that effectively, uh, it, it takes a long time. You know what I mean? There's no shortcuts, uh, unfortunately. And to be able to rank well and to be able to compete again against like savvy competitors now, um, all that stuff takes a long time. And so if you're making, if you're changing your mind when it comes to content or content campaigns on like a weekly basis, you're, you're probably going to go down a slippery slope. You know what I mean? It's, it's something you got to kind of commit to over, you know, six months, 12 months, because that's really where you're going to start to see the actual results roll in. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And you know what, I'm glad you brought that up, because um, it was something that uh, another guest um, spoke about in a previous interview a couple of months ago. And um, uh, her point, which is uh, very much correlated to what you just said in the past couple of minutes is, um, it's great if you're doing stuff, um, you know, that gets that gets that visibility if you're doing a branded search. But what about all that non branded stuff? Right. Yep. Like, so for, for instance, I mean, and, and, I, and I believe this was to your point, what if, what if people are using these uh, industry specific keywords? So just leave the brand name out of it for a second. Right. But like, let's, let's just talk about like, okay, what if somebody's looking for semiconductors? What if yep. somebody's looking for a specific type of software that is, uh, you know, that, that is um, uh, relevant to a particular application? Will that, will your company appear in the feed? Right. So yep. it's a it's it's a question also of doing that um what I believe she called the outside in approach. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We, uh, in the content space, too, we talk a lot about like stages of the funnel. So in other words, a lot of the branded stuff tends to be very bottom of the funnel, meaning these these are people who are already searching or already have made up their minds in the in the decision you know making process. Um, where a lot of B2B companies need to focus is that middle and top of the funnel. So top of the funnel, if we go all the way to the beginning, it would look like uh, things that are like education and information based or problem based. So like if someone's searching for, uh, you know, CRM software, nobody needs a CRM software instantly. They develop this problem or need because they, uh, you know, I have too many spreadsheets and uh, it's, it's too much of a hassle to share that information with my team or um, I can't see contact record history or whatever when I email prospects um, and I need to be able to hand that off to my whatever assistant or our, our coordinator, our SDR team. Like there's some other problem or issue that pops up first. And so how do we how do we talk to those problems and issues and, and be because we want to get in at the very beginning of this person's decision making process. We don't want to try to swoop it at the end after they've already planned everything out, looked at vendors, uh, looked at comparisons. Um, and done all that, again, that kind of almost like mental legwork 
uh, we, we want to position ourselves at the very beginning to kind of like almost help walk them through. Again, the, the good news, it sounds like a lot of work, but the great news about it is you don't need salespeople to do it. <laughs> you just need salespeople to, to do a lot of the prospecting and closing at the very end. You don't need them to like develop accounts 12 months ahead of time because that's what content's doing for you at scale, or at least it should be. No, that's absolutely right. And I think I, I think you laid that out so beautifully because um, you know, one of the questions I was going to pop in there was, yeah, but Brad, that's going to take such a long time. What's, we want to see some immediate ROI, right? I mean, like that's probably, yeah. these are probably conversations that you've had with people in the past totally. or, or continue to have. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And we're pretty upfront about it in that like yeah. the payback, again, the payback period for content. The good news is content's an investment. You mm -hmm. look at ads, ads, and especially auction-based ads, like everything online, like Google, like whatever, uh, it's only going to get more expensive. So you might be able to arbitrage it. You might be able to hire like a really savvy PPC buyer and arbitrage it and bring your cost down 5%. But that's, that cost savings only going to last for what, six months, 12 months? And then five years from now, it's only going to be more expensive because only more dollars are going to come in here because people are realizing, oh, you know, billboards help for one thing, but they don't really help. Uh, we, like we need to like put our money where actually buyers come from. Um, the, the good news is that there is a payback period for content. So if you look at it like an investment, like I'm going to sink in this capital expenditure and I'm going to put in this amount of content at the very beginning. And then my payback period is 6, 12, 18 months. Um, it maybe hopefully shifts the mindset because Again, B2B buying cycles are, are very long in and of itself. And all that work is going to be a lagging indicator, meaning the new lead you see from a content campaign, it's going to be from actually the work you did six months ago, 12 months ago. It's not going to be from, you know, the campaign you you put up yesterday. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you, you know, you, uh, I love how you brought up that um, that topic uh, with regards to arbitrage. And that's definitely something we're going to we're going to come back um, to in a couple of minutes. I think you're going to have a field day with this one. Talk about the biggest. <laughs> talk about the biggest problem that you believe you and your team um, have been able to solve in the past year. Yeah, that's a good question. I think what's really we're in this very hard space. Like I said, where a lot of changes are happening. Um, the the other change that's happening too is that places like Google, like Facebook, you, you think of like where do you get traffic online? It comes from just a few sources. If you really break it down, it comes from Google largely in the search engine category. It comes from largely Facebook or Instagram in the um, and that that holds true, by the way, for like LinkedIn is, is still a big driver of referral traffic, but it, it can't really touch Facebook or Instagram from like a global audience perspective. Um, and then you have uh, so, so the problem is a lot of these platforms are very slowly but very quickly taking away your opportunities to actually perform and to get traffic from their site. For instance, Google is is showing like if you search for a recipe, for instance, Google's showing that recipe on their search engine result page without someone needing to click in to find that stuff. So, you know, one could argue that that's probably, I don't know, a copyright infringement or something of some sort. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is like, I'm in no position to say anything to Google and most companies aren't. So therefore they're gonna kind of like scrape your content and show it to people and people can find their answer and not even click on your your site and they're still gonna bounce away. Like this is a big problem because it's, it's also not just the competitors you're after. You're also competing now against Google themselves. You're competing against Facebook themselves. Yeah. Um, so you have, you have all these problems of like people encroaching on your space almost. And that's why one of the things that we talk about is like, yes, you should, you should value quality over quantity, but you also kind of need both. And that's really difficult to do at scale. So doing yeah. like our agency, for example, Codeless does like three, 400 articles a month for a bunch of different clients. That's a lot of work and it takes a lot of people and there's a lot of writers and everything else we manage. Um, it's very, very difficult to do that much content and that much scale 
but still keep the quality bar really, really high. And so that's one of the things that I think we do well um, for a number of reasons. But uh, but I think that is one of the challenges facing people. Is it's, it's like, you know, we started this conversation by saying, well, don't do average stuff. Uh, but then now we're also saying, well, you can't just do like one pretty good thing or awesome thing a month. You, like it's it's got to be yeah. this kind of middle ground of of trying to figure out a way to do both. Absolutely, absolutely, man. That really sounds like a tricky piece of work. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It takes a lot of people. Uh, like I said, we we probably have I don't know five six people on one mm-hmm. account at yeah. like day one, and that doesn't even include if we use a lot of writers because uh, there's just so much involved. There's subject matter experts and editors mm-hmm. and designers. Like there's so much that goes into this now. Uh, to to keep that quality bar high. Well, absolutely, because you know, um, and, and I'm sure everybody knows this, but you know, when you're talking about content, we're not just referring to the written word. I mean, like you know, you've you've got the visual aspect of it as well, right? Because that counts as content totally. too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're doing uh, video now. Like, uh, mm. I think content, like written content, is still often like the basis for a lot of these yeah, things. So sure. you you still have we still have to write like a script, for instance, before we do a video. Um, I also think that the amount of really long detailed content, how it performs currently in search will probably only get worse over time. Cause I don't think, I don't think real people, mortals really want to read 10,000 word guides. You know what I mean? Like that's a lot. Uh, most people, <laughs> yeah. Like more, most people are really yeah. busy and yeah. they don't want to read, but it, it works and it works well from search and, and for a number of different reasons. However, yeah. I think, you know, it's only a matter of time again before everyone's eyeballs are going to video. And yeah. so how do we how do we still communicate and get across all that information and that depth of information? How do we get that across in succinct videos or clever illustrations to like kind of show people and not just force them to, you know, sit down and waste half a day reading our our blog post? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. You talked about some of these things already, but like, um, tell us about what you believe a solid B2B content strategy and approach needs to have. and. Uh, Please provide some examples where relevant. Yeah, for sure. So uh, this sounds trite and obvious, but it basically needs to be some something related to business objectives. <laughs> so uh, and you'd be surprised again at how often people unfortunately separate out new things like new technologies and new platforms and channels. They separate that from like the old school classic stuff. And so again, if we think back to marketing from like how it was defined in the 60s, yeah. it was like product <laughs> placement, like the four P's, yeah. all distribution, same thing online. We think of distribution yeah. as like distribution channels, placement, mm-hmm. like how, how and where are you going to put things? Um, it's no, it's not actually not that different. So you should still apply a lot of the same classic principles. So uh, like revenue generate generating activities, uh, business objectives, those should still um, be the, the fundamentals. However, to our discussion earlier, there is this bottom of the funnel, middle of the funnel, top of the funnel progression that we need. So you got to kind of work backwards. Maybe that's the inside out that you were talking about earlier, where it's like, we might start with the product or service or the yes. idea that we're trying yeah. to, to generate ideas and eyeballs, or excuse mm-hmm. me, yeah, eyeballs and, and traffic to. But yeah. then when we got to go, we got to go backwards and say, okay, well, what's going to lead people to want to find out more information about this? And then what's going to, so almost like the, the five whys working backwards. So why are, why do people care about this? Why do people care about 
what our product does. Well, it helps them in these five ways. Okay, well, why why should they care? How how are those five things different from competitors X Y Z? And then for for those two things that are actually different, not the other three things that are all commoditized in your space, uh, how, how can we make a bigger deal about those two things and still connect it to these original problems and pain points other people are having? And start to like really work backwards and figure out how do we like draw this huge map? Because we often find too stuff at the very beginning or top of the funnel that you thought didn't make sense to do any content around uh, now does all of a sudden. So you're able to kind of like open up and expand your horizons a little bit and get better, um, draw better like connections mentally between, oh, okay, now I can see how finding out about these original problems are, are going to naturally lead people into the discussion or at least position our brand and product and service as the, the, the solution to these problems this person's you know facing. Yeah, you, you know, that last bit was so spot on because I'm, I was having this conversation with a, another gentleman the other day. And um, it, it, it all boils down to like also when you, you know, when you're coming up with this type of content, you're thinking about, OK, uh, and, and this is almost like a content 101, but like, who are those? Uh, who's that target audience? Right. Who, who are those personas that we are trying to reach out to and uh, uh, and tap into and what problems are they facing? And it's almost yeah. a, it's almost a question of categorizing. And to a certain extent, also prioritizing those problems because they're not all they're not all urgent, right? So yeah, and and then coming up with uh, coming up with content that's uh, basically designed to help address these pain points and challenges that that persona is facing, and how uh, said brand or said company is equipped uh, to help them, right? Yep. Yeah, I think a lot of these things sound basic on the surface because most. Yeah. Most smart people are doing them. The problem often is they're not doing them well enough or deep enough. So in other words, they have a persona, but it's like the persona's uh, geographic location and income level doesn't isn't the reason why they buy from me. So why do they actually buy from me? Like really dig in and understand what like what are the key events? What are the challenges? Like what what is the driving impulse and the thing that makes them like wake up at 2 a.m. and jot something down on their phone? Because it's like they can't get it out of their head. Like, what are those reasons that make them buy from you? Don't just give me a like one-dimensional persona that tells me like they're married with three kids. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't. It matters. It matters when it like comes to the sale, and I need to talk to them and build rapport. But it doesn't matter from a content perspective because it doesn't help me figure out. Oh, well, I should write my subhead this way, not this way. Like their their familial yeah. status doesn't impact yeah. like a headline or uh, a hook or anything like that. That that's the challenge, I think. Exactly. You, you forgot to mention plays baseball on the weekends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so it, uh, it leads to like semi uncomfortable conversations a lot of times with companies because yeah. it's like, because they're like, no, no, we have that stuff. And then you go mm. through it and you're like, yeah, well, it's not great. Like it could be better. And so yes. you got to kind of like almost use the, the be like Socrates. You got to like pull it out of them. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. once once people really like take a step back and consider it from that other perspective, it, it, it dawns on them and it, it helps illuminate, you know, oh, actually, we do have some gaps here that we need to, to fill before we have the discussion of like keywords. Exactly. Outside in. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that was awesome. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. So um, Content Marketing Institute, I think a lot of people in the space know them. Um, they conduct these uh, this research pretty much on an annual basis. Um, so this is one particular article. Um where they highlighted like some key differentiators, okay, or, or they identified them in terms of like what successful uh, B2B content marketers do versus the rest, right? So uh, bottom line is that they found out through this research that top performers 
we're more likely to use content marketing for goals beyond brand awareness and early stages of the sales funnel. It almost sounds pedestrian, but like to your point, it's it's interesting to see how many people actually don't do that, right? The, the, uh, the article or, or the research rather, um, it, it highlighted a lot of points, but I just pulled out three of them, uh, which I thought were really interesting. So point number one, 73% uh, of these top performers nurture subscribers, audiences, or leads. Uh, point number two, 64% generate sales and revenue, which is, uh, which is nice. And uh, <laughs> point number three, 60% build a subscribed audience. Your thoughts on these and what do you believe um, uh, or how do you believe this landscape has changed due to the pandemic? Yeah, those, those are both good questions. I'll answer the first one yeah. first. I think, um, I, so I would wholeheartedly agree with all those things. I think I think the challenge is, again, uh, especially the larger the organization, the more siloed they end up getting. And then that what that means is that the the Facebook team doesn't talk to the content team, which actually the content team only does top of the funnel content and they don't talk to the salespeople who are doing the bottom of the funnel content or whatever. Like you have all these silos. And I think what we need to think about from a conversion standpoint is a conversion means someone signing on the dotted line, but there's probably like 15 micro conversions that are going to happen before that step. So in other words, just getting someone to from Google into a blog post, that's like one micro conversion. Another micro conversion might be, let's get these people to stay on this page longer than 30 seconds. Another one might, and, and not exit. Like if the exit rate's over 90%, that's not good. You're bringing a lot of traffic, but they're all leaving. That's not good. So how do we get them to like read another blog post? So I just want them to read two blog posts now. And then I just want them to uh, check out a, um, uh, like a, a guide, uh, something detailed, right? Because we want to like, we want to start infecting their thinking in a good way uh, and, and brainwashing them in a good way that, that we're the, the, the experts here and that we're, so it's all these little like gates or like checkpoints that you need to hit that are very small and tedious and they need to somehow be cohesive though. It doesn't always happen like that where people are obviously of course going to jump around where they might read three things and then convert, you know, a week later that that happens too. It's not always perfect, but you at least need to have the same things. Again, if you think about, advertising 60 years ago, however long ago, the old stats of like someone needs to hear your brand message 10 times before they even like re remember who you are. Same thing in the content space. Like people need to, to hear about your brand, see your brand, see you somewhere 10, 15 times on LinkedIn, on an article they read on a big media site, on your own sites. Um, they need to see you multiple places, multiple times to even like kind of permeate their their conscious, you know. So I, I think I think that's a the big challenge to that speaks to what the content marketing institute stuff and study says and again that takes time but the, uh, the good news bad news it, it works at scale like salespeople don't so uh, and, and, and like sales reps can't you know what i mean so if if sdrs are failing at cold email because again it's only a matter of time before that kind of stuff just gets worse and worse and worse cold email open rates and click rates aren't getting any better anytime soon sorry to you know, drop that bombshell on people. Uh, but but if we're doing if we're doing things, if we're like inverting the funnel a little bit and doing things in a clever way and bringing people in um, at scale, I think that's a better long term approach. Um, the pandemic has sped everything up. So the pandemic took, I think the most profound thing is that the pandemic took uh, internet adoption forward like ten years, five ten years. And again, much smarter people than me have said all this stuff. So I'm not like claiming I'm saying anything new. But I think the important way to think about that is uh, like things like a Zoom call is 
part of everyone's day now where it wasn't before. You still had a lot of physical meetings, a lot of in-person meetings. Uh, we still will. I don't think any of that stuff's going away. I think what'll happen is, again, scale. So it's much easier for me if I'm a sales rep to sit here and to do 10 back-to-back Zoom calls than it is for me and, and develop rapport like face-to-face. And that's going to be better than like sitting on the phone or trying to go nail down like two meetings in a day. I can, I can over the course of a month, my output is, you know, night and day. So I, I think those things are really important and that people's, people are becoming a lot more comfortable making key decisions online and in this kind of remote asynchronous world. So you guys might be out of the office and sleeping, but someone on the other side of the world is up reading your blog articles and they're going to make that decision again without even talking to you guys so, or, or calling in. So I, I think, I think those are the important shifts where this new reality you know, something that was probably going to take another five or 10 years for like uh, older people or the rest, you know, for just generalizing older people, older generations or the rest of the world or see even C-suite people like they're all kind of forced into into this new digital first reality now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, that was such a great answer. And, you know, it was something there was something that you said um, in the past couple of minutes that just uh, that just uh, made me think about something else. And I know that I've read a couple of things about it. You've probably read it all over the place as well. Um, so I'm just going to throw it at you. Um, how many touch points or how many pieces of content do you think, um, uh, you know, generally um, that potential buyer looks at before they make a decision to go with a specific company or service provider? I think it's a good question. I think it's important too that we talk about like, well, what is content? Because again, right. a lot of times when we talk about content, it, they may not sit, I, I think it's a lot. So I think it's probably like a dozen at least. That being said, it's not like they're sitting down reading a dozen, 2000 word articles. You know what I mean? That's, they might read like three or they might read like one. They might read one and it's it's exactly what they're thinking or exactly in line with what they're looking for. But they probably had other things, you know, in front of them. So that might be a podcast episode. It might be, it might be an offline speech too. I'm not, I'm not disregarding any of that stuff. You, you can and should repurpose uh, a webinar with offline speeches and vice versa. Like all these things should be related. So it could have been, uh, they saw you at a conference last year and then, uh, they were in a group on Facebook or LinkedIn. They don't do groups anymore. Uh, a Facebook group though, like we, we've seen a lot of B2B buyers in Facebook groups because that's like one of the few places where you can actually get um, you can actually still get a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, visibility. Whereas on a Facebook page, you can't anymore. It's um, without paying. It's impossible, but they, but then you could still use retargeting ads. And so that's going to be a piece of content, a retargeting ad get to get them back to your website. When they checked out your, when they saw you speak, they heard it, they went, they were looking, looking for vendors six months later and they saw you in a, a Facebook group. Um, and then they, and then they come check out your site and they leave. And then a week later, a retargeting ad hits them and brings them back to a webinar you're running. Like all these things are, are, you know, can and should be related. And I think that's, that's the, you know, types and styles of content that people are seeing. And that's when I say probably like a dozen at least. I, th- I don't think that's crazy. You know, we're out, out of the, yeah, out, no. of the out of this world. No, 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 not at all. Um, I, 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 I think um, a lot would have probably already been a <laughs> satisfactory answer because, uh, like you said, they, they'll probably, um, like if, if they download or if they looked at a blog article, they, they probably read a couple of like maybe the first paragraph or so. Um, they, if they downloaded a white paper, maybe they looked at the first two pages. So, yep. and it's just to get a, it's just to get a feel and get that information. Um, like those, those answers to those questions that they have, that, you know, that they're looking for. Right. Yeah. So, a lot of times mm-hmm. too, it's, it's not even like the first degree content. So it's not like mm-hmm. us just putting out content. It's right. other people, it's other people than talking about that. 
So they, I can't tell you the amount of conversations I have both for our software product and also on the client side where yeah. um, I talked to someone and they found out about us because they were in one of these groups, a Slack group, a Facebook group, something. And there was like 10 other people already having a conversation about vendors in the space. And three of them were talking about it and then recommended it or recommended them to us. And it was like, I had never talked to this person. They didn't even read any of my blog posts. But it, it was that network effect of like being in the right communities and having and, and making yeah. sure that we are we are still we are still answering. And this goes back to the the, the non-branded traffic idea of we're, mm -hmm. we're still we're still in the conversation in these spaces, you yeah. know, well before well before someone knows who That's we right. are necessarily. That's right. No, like it's, it's a word of mouth, really. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same again. Same old same old stuff. Just new mediums. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Brad, I'm gonna ask you to like get up on your uh, soapbox with these next two questions. <laughs> Perfect. That's um, be hard. Yeah, probably not. Um, <laughs> what is a commonly held belief or a status quo in your area of expertise that you passionately disagree with, and why? It's so hard go. to. <laughs> I was gonna say it's so hard to just think of one. Just zero down on the one that really like irks you. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a few. Okay. There's there's two big there's two big ones on the top of my head. Uh, one is this idea of arbitrage and the other one before i forget it uh is, is this idea of um creativity and so I'll, I'll try to touch on both so feel free to remind me if i forget one of them but the arbitrage idea exactly what we talked about with paid ads a little while ago you can bring down just by doing like the best practices you can often bring down and get better results on a very small scale so you might be able to make like a one percent improvement or a two percent improvement uh, another perfect example of that might be um, if you think of like the opt-in rates for webinars. I I've been doing webinars for like, I don't know, almost a decade, probably a decade. And the, the opt-in rates haven't really changed that much. They're around 30%. Or excuse me, the I, should I should rephrase that. The attendee rate from opt-ins. So the people that all sign up to attend, to the people that actually attend the webinar, uh, we can run ads to those people. We can send them reminders. We can text them. It doesn't matter. It's always fluctuates when we look at like on average across everything over the course of a year. It's always around 30%, give or take. So it's just one of those things where it's like uh, people, especially in the B2B space, they do this on LinkedIn and it drives me bonkers. They write like their, their like quasi motivational, like trite message. And then like it's their, it's so blatantly like their colleagues. So they're just bugging them internally on Slack. Like, hey, now can you guys come comment on my post? And then that little artificial bump like helps to increase their visibility by 1% or 10%. Like, do you really think that's going to last 10 years from now? Do you really think, and you know what, uh, Jeff Bezos said something in like his Amazon, one of his like old, his old sayings is, uh, yeah, they're in the business of what's not going to change. Right. <laughs> okay. So, so what's not going to change 10 years from now? And that's what mm -hmm. they tend to focus on. And it, I think it's so short-sighted to spend our mental energy and money and time to search out and seek out these little 1% optimizations when mm -hmm. over the long term we could be shooting for like a couple hundred percent optimizations. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think it's almost like shiny tactic syndrome where it's something new, something different, something that someone's telling them and it's like FOMO. Well, they, they're doing it. We should be doing it. Yeah. And it's kind of like <laughs> echo chambery on LinkedIn right. too. It's where some, everyone just kind of copies each other. Mm -hmm. So that, that's one soapbox. Uh, the other one around creativity, especially in the marketing space is that good marketing doesn't necessarily mean more creative marketing mm -hmm. and the, the missing ingredient in most marketing teams isn't creativity like they usually have that it's uh processes 
and its operations and its productivity and output. And so I think that's a big missing thing that people, especially online, because again, I think people, when they think of online stuff or digital stuff, they, they tend to get too into like the mysticism of it. They tend to get too into like the, uh, oh, well, it's new and it's different. And it's, it's people react differently today. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But they were, people were, you know, mad at you before social media. They just were talking to their friends. They weren't using a social platform to do it. They, were st they still hated your cell phone contract and your like draconian policies. They still hated you. Uh, they just like complained to their family. Um, so none of that stuff's really changed. And so what I think often holds people back, and again, you see this with, with bad marketing content where they say 101 ways to uh, do X, Y, Z. And it's like, you don't need 101. You need two or three. And you need to do them really, 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 really well and right. much better than everyone else. And if you yeah. do that, you'll win over the long term again, over what doesn't change. If you do those in the right things and apply that work to the stuff that isn't just searching out these tiny little arbitrage opportunities, I think that's what works over five, 10 years, maybe not next week. But, you know, yeah. again, if, if we're in this for the long term, if we're in this for like eight figure, 10 figure, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of a, a lot of growth, then I think that that's where you're going to get better results over the long term. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think you really hit the nail on the head there. I mean, like this is a long game, right? I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not always like, um, or it, in fact, it shouldn't be about just short-term wins or short-term games. You got to think about the, the big picture too, right? Yeah. I mean, short-term stuff's great. It's important, but it, to me, it's like the cherry on the cake. Right. So the show, <laughs> I'm, I'm, op I'm optimizing our stuff for the long-term. Mm. And if, if we get short-term bumps and they do come, amazing you know yeah. i'm not going to like say no to it i'm not going to not try to go get them but i'm also not going to like that's also not my promotion strategy is to get my colleagues to form a linkedin mafia posse and comment on everyone's like if that's my long-term promotion strategy i'm in trouble like that is hmm. i i, I, I think uh, yeah i think they're calling that pods these days aren't they i don't know yeah it's <laughs> it's, it's uh it's the... i i I, it's, I get it it works mm. but again for how long like if, right. it, if i know if i look back at aol mm -hmm. like this all happened back oh AOL, gosh everyone's it's like ancient everyone's history built, here <laughs> yeah exactly everyone built company pages or company profiles or whatever they were called back then in yeah. and then aol it became this closed little garden then mm -hmm. they started slowly taking away your ability to reach these people and then where's aol now i don't know like Good question. Uh, look at Facebook. <laughs> yeah. We used to do like, like back in the early days of social media, we used to do uh, like gating. So you had to, we would put up a coupon or put up an offer or a campaign. People mm -hmm. had to like our page to actually see it and to get, yeah. and, and so we could build up our, our likes on our page to give us a, like opting in to get access to them. So we can, uh, you know, eventually spam the hell out of them. Uh, but guess what? Like that organic reach now is zero and we have to use yeah. paid ads. And same thing happened on Instagram. Like it, it, none of this isn't new. And same thing's happening on Google. Like I said, they're, they're yeah. removing the ability. Your competitors are better, but also they're removing what they're showing and they're trying mm -hmm. to promote, you know, paid offerings more because guess what? They make a lot more money on paid offerings than they do on free things. So none of this stuff is like new. It's just, it's history repeating itself. And yeah. you got all, in technology, you get all these very small micro cycles where it just happens so much faster. Mm -hmm. So the life cycle, the life cycle of AOL back in the old days might have taken a hundred years to play out, but now yeah. it took, you know, 20. Right. And so it's, it's, I'm not saying Facebook's going away. These companies are too big and they frankly are all monopolies now. So I'm not saying yeah. they're all any of going away anytime soon, but, um, your, your ability to, to exploit arbitrages on their platform will go away in, mm -hmm. in the short term. That's the right. problem. Right. No, exactly. 
exactly. No, Brad, this has been absolutely amazing. Um, can you do us the honor of, um, you know, just telling us a little bit about yourself? And there is a big hint in your LinkedIn profile, and I love it. Slaying awful content one blog at a time. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, very, very slowly, painstakingly. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I am one of the owners and the CEO of a software product called Wordable. Mm -hmm. It automatically exports and formats and optimizes content for publication and people's content management systems or websites. Uh, so, so we have this problem. What else I do? Uh, I also own Codeless, a content production company. As I alluded to earlier, we produce like three, four hundred articles for a lot of a month for a lot of big SaaS companies. And um, we have this problem where we're spending all this time creating all this content, and it gets approved, and then it just sits in Google Docs because it takes like thirty to sixty minutes per article to manually upload, format, optimize that content to publish it out on yeah. someone's site. We yes. see this with a lot of clients too. We deliver like twenty articles to them. And we're like, hey, why isn't it live yet? And they just don't have people to go in and do all the kind of tedious, painstaking mm. work. And so that's what Wordable does. It's going to automate all that stuff. So that's just Wordable.io. Um, Codeless, as I mentioned, is, is one of the agencies. And then uh, and then Usurp is our PR and link building agency. And so it's kind of like just different. It's all content marketing related, but it's it's kind of like different stages or, or different parts of the process, in other words. So Codeless often creates the content. We use Wordable as a customer. Um, and, uh, and to help publish that content faster and better. And then, uh, the PR and link building, you need distribution at the end of the day to get content to be seen and ranked and all that fun stuff. So, yeah. um, yes, yeah, it's, it's one big kind of one big process. Yeah, no, no, exactly, man. Absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, thanks so much again for sharing your experience and, uh, you know, giving us these, these hopefully like uh, very, uh, you know, hopefully the listeners will get a lot of value out of like, you know, these these great tips and recommendations you've given us. Um, what's the best way for people out there to get in touch with you? Uh, probably on either going through Wordable. I'll often be checking in with people going through Wordable okay. too, um, because we're doing a lot of work there and we're, and we're trying to get, you know, uh, we're trying to make it a, a daily habit for people. And so we're often talking sure. direct. I'll, I'll probably reach out. We're often talking directly to marketers and people um, on a daily basis in there. And then also on LinkedIn at BS Marketer. Uh, those are my initials, but also right. like sometimes, sometimes, you know, marketers are full of BS. So <laughs> I thought that was funny, uh, but yeah. those are my initials as well. So it's not just, uh, not just me yeah. being immature. No, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> just a little immature. <laughs> oh, Brad, man, this has been so much fun. Thanks again for your time. Or as the Hawaiians say, mahalo. All right. Yes. Thank you. Mahalo. Mahalo. Thank you so much. So, sir, take care, be safe and, uh, you know, go grab that surfboard and hit the waves, man. <laughs> I'll try. Yeah, I'll try to get out there this afternoon. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you.